Are you ready to jump into some true crime docs, crime thrillers, and more? Check out our website for an extensive list of our favorite movies and shows at thesirenspodcast.com slash watch, and find our favorite true crime and thriller books and authors, some covered on the show, at thesirenspodcast.com slash author alley. You can even find special deals for Amazon Music, Audible, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, Showtime, and even Grubhub. If you're looking to jump in immediately, check out our pinned Facebook post for some streaming service free trials on us. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Raven here, and I have two special guests with me today, Rick Rollins and Simon Vaughn. I'm back. And we're going to talk about some axe men of the South, axe murderers, if you have it. Okay, there it is, because I was curious if you meant (laughs) axe murderers. murderers. Axe murderers. Oh, yeah. I forgot what room I was in for a minute. (laughs) Hand in hand with the jazz scene. Yeah. And uh, I've got this new cool thing that you guys can't see because this is a freaking podcast, but I got a new thing where my guests are in front of me and they can see some pictures I have behind me on a giant slide screen. So, and all of the photos that you may hear us refer to tonight, you can find on our case files section on the website, www.com. TheSirensPodcast.com slash case files. Yes, you have to sign up for it because I don't let just anybody in my case files. But if you do, it's free and you can just get in there and snoop around and see what I get. So, so yeah, we're, we're actually going to talk about three cases tonight. Um, and it's mostly because, uh, well, we're going to get into some conspiracy theories later, which is why I have my conspiracy theorist here. Um, but, yeah, so I'm like kind of putting all of these into one. For any government listeners, uh, Raven was referring to uh, the other co-host. Not me. Totally not me. Yeah, I hate the government. There we go. See? Fight me. Uh, we're going to start in Austin, Texas. All right, I'll go get the car. So the population now, well, in 2019 was almost a million people. But in 1900, which is around the bouts that we're going to start at, um, 1870, there was only like 4,500 people there. That's a little less. A little, yeah, yeah a little less. A fraction. So <laughs> it, it's literally described as a cow town. Those of you, I know now we have listeners literally all over the world. So those of you who don't know what a cow town is, it is pretty much the literal, like the phrase, because it just has a bunch of cows in it. It is a town <laughs> where once there were cows for a purpose of property, prosperity, economy, and other. Yes. Yeah. And, and actually, uh, there was some... A s- lot of other. 
Yeah. There was some sort of drawing or something of the mayor's um, mansion from around this time. And it's it's literally this gorgeous mansion that's supposed to be like it's it was supposed to look somewhat like the um, White House. And it has literal cows on the lawn. Yep. And there were so many cows that they had knocked over the fences and were just grazing on the lawn. Yeah, so it sounds about right. Yeah. 1900s Texas, you better believe it. That actually is a huge statement because there's cows everywhere, but there's also not a White House with cows everywhere. There's not a White House with cows yeah. everywhere. Secretary of State. Secretary of State. Secretary of State. So I have each of these. We are talking about three different cases tonight, but each of them have their, their own case files on the website, just so you know. So if you'd like to see the pictures, I've got some really old pictures of Austin, Texas in there um, and some postcards and whatnot. So it suddenly occurs to me that no one could see what we're looking at. This is a. a That's what I'm, I'm telling corner them. Corner store. Little corner, corner store. Got some yeah. Posts. L- large corner de- department store. One of those old ones that didn't have doors down on the bottom. It just shutters. Bunch of produce just out on the sidewalk. We're looking at Congress Avenue is what we're looking at. Austin, Texas, Congress Avenue. Uh, yeah, and so we're actually going to go back to 1885. That's where we're starting. All right. Uh, and this, this that we're going to talk about um, has several different names. The Austin Axe Murderer or Axe Killer. Um, it's also been called the Midnight Assassin. Also was dubbed at one point the Servant Girl Annihilator. It's a little wordy. It is. Um, servant I, Girl yeah. Annihilator. I've heard of the, fir- the first two I've heard of, but the last one, no. That seems like someone's bad college film The project. Servant Girl Annihilator? Yeah. Yeah, you'll find out who came up with that later. It sounds like a weird <laughs> 1800s frat guy nickname. <laughs> the Servant Girl Annihilator. And Chad. You know, it's always fun hearing that phrase, axe murder, because what yep. that means nowadays, it, it implies so much more than just an axe murder. <laughs> and when you're talking about a literal axe murdering, mm-hmm. it's very abstract. <laughs> and this and these are uh, because there are, there's three cases and there's a bunch of different ways that they were killed, including axes, but it's all just chalked up to axe murders. Sliced, diced, and julienned? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Three years before Jack the Ripper? Three years before yeah. Jack the Ripper. Okay. Yeah, and we all thought, well, I mean, we all know better than to think that Jack the Ripper was the real, like, very first serial killer ever. He was the first publicized. He was the very, the first one that was, like, huge in the media, and even this um, only saw local papers. Like, they even speculated at one point that the person who did this then fled to London and was also Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. That seems like. Yes. Yeah. That seems yeah. like. Yeah. You got to give me something on this, Martinez. <laughs> you got to close this case. Oh, it gets well, weirder. I think he was Jack the Ripper. He's gone. I it wouldn't get... worry about him. During the course of 1885, there was a series of eight murders that occurred in Austin, Texas. All of them were carried out in a similar manner. The victims were attacked in their beds as they slept or they were pulled out of their beds as they slept and drug and axed to death. They were struck in the head, not only with the axe, but with the blunt end of the axe. I know. I'm going to go over each one. You're seeing the looks on our faces like, that's oddly ritualistic. 
I'm glad you said that because yeah. that's going to lead into our next case. Okay. okay. So, <laughs> according to Texas Monthly, the killer murdered seven win- women and uh, also seriously injured five other women and two men. All of the, the victims were attacked indoors while they slept in their beds. Um, five of these women were dragged unconscious but still alive outdoors and then killed out in the street and three of these women were severely mutilated while they were outdoors so the first victim was molly smith a 25 year old cook working for the walter hall residence on sixth street was then named pecan street smith by most accurate accounts was 25 years old then and a live-in servant of merchant william smith now this is where they started getting the servant girl thing because all of almost all of these women, five or six of them, I believe, all were living with their masters, living with their uh, merchants or whatever in the back. It's the house. 1880s. Nothing yeah. about society in the 1880s no. is going to fly appropriately with anybody who listens no. to this podcast. No. So she resided in a small outbuilding behind the hall home with her boyfriend Walter Spencer. And sometime after midnight, on the morning of December 31st, 1884, Hall was awakened by her boyfriend, Spencer, who was bleeding profusely from several wounds to the head. He somehow had enough time to explain to Hall. Now, remember, Hall is the employer. So he ran from where he was sleeping into his employer's home, woke him up, and he was bleeding profusely and told him that they had been attacked. Um, they followed uh, followed him back outside, um, and Smith had been also attacked. So they entered this small room where they found obvious signs of a struggle, a blood-covered axe, and they followed a trail of blood into the backyard where they found Molly Smith, who was lying in the snow. She had died from injuries inflicted by the axe wounds to her head, abdomen, chest, legs, and arms. It should be noted that um, most of these that we're going to be talking about, they were attacked with their own axes, as in... Utility hatchets kept around the house for firewood and everything. Exactly. 1880s, you were dealing with still a lot of cast iron iron furnaces and other things like that. You didn't have a lot of electric uh, heat or anything like that. Most houses, especially a prominent one like that, would have had at least three or four various hatchets and axes. Different kinds of wood cutting and and yeah. Yeah, so almost all of these, almost all of them, uh, were picked up at the scene, used, and then left at the scene. So, and and this is one of them. Uh, So she died from her injuries inflicted by the axe wounds to her head. The following day, the prominent Austin newspaper, the Austin Statesman, ran the following headline. A fearful midnight murder. The Austin Statesman, in its January 1st, 1885 edition, reported the murder on West Pecan Street as one of the most horrible murders that had ever been reported and a reporter was called on to chronicle a deed almost unparalleled in the atrocity of its execution i mean this literally is textbook how you make a serial killer somebody did a thing 
whether it was a rando, the servant, the, her boyfriend, or the owner of the house, somebody did something as either a crime of passion here, did this, and then the media advertised it. One of the worst things that can happen with these situations where you have a potential, is someone suffering from psychopathy in the is first place, sensationalize is sensationalize it. it and give them any form of serotonin or dopamine identification mm-hmm. for that. And they did it on the first victim. Yeah, yeah. But how are you not going to in the 1880s anyway? Well, yes. And this was a town of 4,500 people. So word is going to get around no matter what. I mean, so you might as well run the story. Problem is, that by the 1880s, too, Austin was, even though it was a small, t- a smaller city, that was still a lot of money. There was a lot of cash in Austin at that point. Well, because there were a lot of uh, cattle ranchers and, and a lot of grocers well, and a lot of... Yeah. It was one of the only parts of Texas that wasn't requ- that wasn't just riding off of end of the Civil War money. Oh, yeah. So yeah. This, is, cattle. this is first recorded attack? First recorded attack, yeah. Yep. A couple things that stand out to me is that the male was attacked first. Right. Unsuccessfully. Yeah, do they have a description about the uh, the injuries he suffered? Were they just lacerations no. or uh, impacts? No. Um, one, one of the reports that I saw said that he was bleeding profusely from the head. That's the only one that I saw that described any kind of uh, injury that he had. Well, even mm. a superficial scalp laceration is going to bleed like oh, yeah. crazy. Like crazy. But I also do find it weird that he is the one that ran in and was like, oh my God, I yeah. was attacked and she was attacked and look at me, I'm bleeding. And, and yeah. with lack of with lack of proper medical reporting, I mean, just think of it. It could have been anything. It sounds like he attempted to murder uh, Walt <laughs> unsuccessfully and then Walt ran away. Leaving uh, easier prey. Correct, yeah. because who yeah. al- who also was there to give this that's, story? They're not going to take the story from the servants. Mm-hmm. They're going to take the story from the owner of the house. That's very right. that's very telling developmentally. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We now have. I wanted to kill someone. Right. Ah, yeah. uh, that was tough. She's easier. That kind of a thing. Oh, wow. yes, Look yes. Look at these newspaper articles. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and also, I mean, if you want to try to get away with it, I mean, this sounds so bad, but it's 1885. No one cares about the servants. Exactly. So, you Texas, don't want to... This part of Texas was technically the South. You want too, somebody... Politically. To not look into it too hard. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, yeah. Okay. And then, so the next attack takes place on May 6th, 1885. Wait, real quick. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So, old boy, the owner of the house and everything. What was his name? Hall? His name was Hall. Yes. Okay. Do we have a report on how old Hall was? Not that I am aware of. See, now this is interesting to me for other reasons that you and I have nerded out about later on. So I'm just going to take some notes here because that's the thing that I'm curious about is as far do we have anything on the servant on the servant's boyfriend? Um no, but uh I did think I do think I saw somewhere where he was around the same age as her, so around 25. Well, it's also the 1880s and yeah. a 25-year-old woman could have been dating anyone from the but age of 2 true. years younger than that's her true. or 20 years older than her. So. I do know that William Hall did live in the house with his family. I don't know how many kids or whatever, but I know that he had a wife and kids. So so the next one, and this this one I had to really search for because this one is actually not included in um, in the attacks, in the 
servant girl annihilator attacks. So this one was Clara Strand and Christine Martinson. It was a little over two months after the first attack, and they are Swedish servants. I should mention, I don't know if I did, but the first two were, they were black servants. And so these are Swedish servants, Clara Strand and Christine, and they were attacked by an unknown assailant while they were walking home, both at the same time, again, walking home on the night of March 19th, 1885. Both girls were seriously injured in the attack, but both survived. And I think this is why they didn't lump them in to the other attacks. Little is known about this attack because it doesn't appear to police in 1885 or to even modern day researchers to be associated with this at all. So I think I actually found this in the book, The Midnight Assassin book, because he did like 30 years of research on this stuff. So that's 40, that's just four months later. Um, it was two months after the first attack. I thought the first attack was December 30th. The first, yes, December 31st. Um, So basically January 1st. And then the Ah. next one is March 19th. They don't know, they don't know precisely what time it took place. Um, Right. They were found far after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So. Because they they weren't reported. Well, it's like the early morning hours sort of thing. Okay. So those two girls survived. The Strands survived. They both survived. Okay. Uh, Clara Strand and Christine Martinson. Um, they both survived. Wait, so they were found unconscious? They were found like... Just walking around with an axe in their head? somebody beat the shit out of them. Okay. They were both... Un- and, okay, they were both... Uh, they'd both been assaulted and they found them... Yes, they were just, just assaulted. I don't think they were assaulted with an axe. And I think that's another reason why it wasn't lumped into these. Hmm. But I feel like they it should be. Definitely happens in the same time. And now both of them were servants, though. They were, yeah. They were Swedish servants. But that doesn't necessarily, Mm-mm. yeah, complete our th- same yeah. thing here. Okay. Um, so then the next official attack uh, was Eliza Shelley the night of May 6th, 1885. Now, Shelley, she is a young black woman. She worked as a cook for the family of Dr. Lucian Johnson. Um, She lived in a small cabin with three young children behind the home of Dr. Lucian B. Johnson, located on the corner of San Jacinto and Cypress Yeah. Wow, that's weird. (laughs) Strange connection. He was also a former state legislator. (laughs) He's a doctor, though. You can edit this out later. Mm, It's almost like he didn't have Kennedy assassinated later on. Um, He's the same person. He's a Texas vampire. He actually discovered Eliza Shelley after hearing screams coming from the home behind his home in the night. His investigation of the crime scene revealed that Shelley had been struck with an axe, quote, as to reveal her brain, end quote, and received punctures on her head from an unknown sharp object that they later think was something like an ice pick. So tiny punctures, because if it's a hatchet, you can do punctures with a hatchet. Um, I did see where a lot of them say that these punctures were put in the ear. Like they were. uh, She had an eight-year-old son who was sleeping in the same bed as her when she was attacked and um, reported that he had woke up to find this man standing over him and his mother. The boy was thrown from the bed, covered with a blanket, and told to stay quiet. 
He provided very little information to investigators. He couldn't even tell them if the man was black or white or what he looked How like. How old was he? Uh, he was eight years old at the time. They also, at this crime scene, found a trail of bloody bear footprints leading away from the crime scene. The right to bear arms. <laughs> investigators also noted that Shelley had received injuries from two separate weapons, like we said, and neither of those were found at the scene. So this time, he took the axe with him. Weapons were collected. Now, Shelley was Johnson's servant. Yeah, Uh, Cook. Cook. Okay, now Shelley was... Now, Johnson reported that he heard a scream out behind the house. Uh Uh-huh, where she basically lived in a little shack behind the house. Okay, servant's quarters. Yeah, servant's quarters, yeah. And he heard... So, in other words, he heard a scream from the servant's quarters. Yes. Okay, now she was dead in the servant's quarters, or was she drug outside? From what I understand, she was killed right there in bed. Okay. Which seems to me a bit more like, from some of the other things that probably will be in this, it's just, the first one doesn't seem to me like he actually drug her outside. The methodology of the attacks bears a striking resemblance to someone that would do so spontaneously. Does that make sense? It does. That's what I was getting at. It's so contradictive Mm -hmm. in that he went into their homes while they were asleep. Mm -hmm. It's the weird snap spur of the moment. Yeah, he did so barefooted. He did so... I know, that's the weird part to me. It's the methodic nature to it. Unless you consider that it's 1884 and the floors in every home are made out of what? Wood. Yes. if you walk across wood with a boot... You're correct. Yeah in servants' quarters and old Midwest kitchens. That they were, were still dirt. dirt, weren't they? Yeah, A lot of them were. It depended on what kind of house you had. It's still going to let you get around much more sneakily. Yeah, but it's 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 almost leading you to believe that he had this like unhinged, psychotic moment. Yeah. Just like a snap moment. No, exactly. Like, oh shit, she's Precisely. sleeping. That can't stand. But then carefully preyed on her. Which like belies the the means of I know. someone who wants to do something methodically. Yeah, but is also still ballsy enough to attack people in pairs or with their kids that they could possibly so, identify. Yeah, them. but that belays a sense of superiority. Yeah, so, I think if I were to profile this man just based off what you've given me here, he is a young, strong, white. That's male. what I think as well. He's That's a, exactly I, what I think as well. The reason that I say that is because with Molly. With Shelly, with the two Swedish girls, mm-hmm. with Walt, with, I mean, all of these attacks. Do you have any idea how hard it is to swing an axe yeah. 15, 16 times in a row mm-hmm. on two different humans? I know. A hatchet, even if it's, even if it's a smaller wood-cutting hatchet, that is heavier than a hammer. And to also, one, that hatchet has to be, that hatchet had to be sharp as hell. And I do want to point out that all of these attacks up till now were uh, done with a woodcutter's axe. Yeah, see, that that is not some... That thing... Those things are not actually sharpened too much because you'll break them. Those are for dividing. That means somebody... like, And the fact that he's using the ones at the house means that either this dude was really strong or just a very talented carpenter. It makes me yeah. think that it was another... That's another... That's another behavior that alludes to spontaneity. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know what I'm going to do but I know I'm going to walk into this house and kill whoever's in it. Precisely. Yeah. Oh, look, wood floors. Let me take my boots off. Yeah. Oh, look, a wood splitter's axe. That'll do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? This now, is not a person in his mind who believes he's going to fail. Well, and and at the Precisely. time, 
profiling and stuff like that wasn't a thing back then. And they seemed to think, like, the first uh, suspects they began to look at were young, were young black men. Of course. And they believed that um, the lack of shoes, because there were footprints, sometimes in the snow, sometimes in blood, running away from the scene, that he just didn't wear shoes because he was too poor to purchase shoes. And they assumed that a black man would not have been, would have been the only one that wasn't. Which I hate to point out, only reinforces my point that a young, methodical, planning, conniving Mm -hmm. white man would know that they would think. Yeah. Precisely. If I'm barefoot, they'll blame this on a black guy. This also this also lends credence to not necessarily just the potential snap I'm ready to kill, but the also the methodology that you hear of people with uh, actual psychotics talking about, "Oh no, I've always known this is how this is supposed to go. If you walk into a person's house, they're going to have a thing there and I'm going yeah. to kill them yeah. this way." Yeah. And if they the, don't let me kill them this way, it's going to be worse. So the, the it also explains the lack of the murdering of the child. Well, yeah. the tenuism on the on the psychotic trigger, the 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 precursor to a psychosis is always a uh, deeply rooted belief in something not real exactly. that is connected to something that is real. That's the trigger. Yeah, I mean that's all. I mean I know that's no, that no. Sounds like you know psychobabble nonsense. But what I mean is like he. He knows that he hates foreigners. Yeah, well... That's a thing he knows. Foreigners or... Or something very common in the 1880s. He knows that servants aren't people. That's the other thing. Yes. It's a disassociation. Bingo, there's the word we were all three looking for. (laughs) That's that's exactly what I was alluding to. It's a Mm -hmm. disassociation. He knows that he hates foreigners, so he has reduced their value. Exactly. So because they have no value... They're no different in his mind. And he can get away with it. Absolutely. Precisely. Yeah. They're no different in his mind than a sick dog or a sick cow. He can go into that house and he mm-hmm. can do what he wants with them because yeah. they have no value. Which, that's the tangible related to the intangible. The weird right. thing here is the, definitely, I see why it's not necessarily connected, but the, uh, the Swedish servants are definitely the odd situation out here. Because of the fact that they were beaten in this case, it feels more like either it was a recognition of he had no way to justify killing them, or it was that he did not want to kill them, but he was testing to see if he could kill without his normal modus. Because, well, it could have yeah. been that. It could have been that. But, I mean, we weren't there. His tri- They were in the street. His exactly. could have been that he was walking behind him and heard him talk weird say, yeah. and yeah. lost his oh, it's fucking such a, mind. Such a busy day being a servant. Excuse me? Yeah. 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 I recently, not, I mean, recently, but I in the past year ran an assault on a psychotic patient that was schizophrenic and it was just because he heard a British woman speak in an accent and beat the Christ out of her. That was it. Absolutely. No, psychological triggers range from literally, have you at any point thought about it or didn't know you were thinking about it? The answer is, you don't know. You have to wait till you dis... You have to wait till you show that that is your trigger. And that's the problem. And most of the time... They don't know, they don't recognize that as a trigger. They don't, there is no difference yeah. to them with that thought pattern than there is to, I'm hungry, hungry equals sandwich That's making. 100%. Yes. There's yeah. no, there's no I've correlation. I've got the itch tonight, so I have to go kill a servant. Yeah. Exactly. There's and no then correlation to, to social norms. There's no uh, cues for socially acceptable behavior. There's nothing in their mind that allows them to distinguish between right and wrong. They're just actions and right. inactions. Right. That's it. Mm-hmm. 
To them, it is the same as the way that we correlate basic subconscious biological reactions uh, of, oh, I winced at that because it looked like something was coming at my face. It's the same. So many of them, it's almost reflexive. So at this time, after after this murder, um, the headlines just kept coming. And this is when they were dubbed the Austin Axe Murders. And that's also when they were dubbed the Servant Girl and I later. uh, Because... There was a well-known resident living in the area at the time. His name was William Sidney Porter. I know that name. He wrote O. Henry. Yep. He wrote a letter to a friend that said, quote, Town is fearfully dull, except for the frequent raids of the servant girl annihilators who make things lively during the dead of the night. End quote. Sounds like my man is trying to write a tagline (laughs) for a movie. Yeah. Axe murderers or servant girl. You know what I mean? Like like the Twilight Zone, they have like two titles for every episode. And and I'm not even sure how, because this is in a letter to a friend, I'm not even sure how this got made public, but... It did, and the, the papers just kind of ran with it. Unfortunately, that particular letter type, too, back in the day, when letters were more common, one of the hardest things about using that for any form of historical profile is you have to absolutely know how that demographic spoke to each other to understand whether he was being sarcastic, sardonic, or sinister. Well, or I, all three. I you can't take flavor out of a text. You're not going to take it out of a letter in Exactly. exactly. You know? That's the problem. I will also say that he was literally the only one that called it that. Uh, even after they made it public, um, like, None none of the... Which clearly reeks of being facetious. <laughs> no here. other it's published being... source refers to it the as The servant that. girl annihilators. <laughs> it's like, see, I'm a good author too, yeah. mother. Porter, stop trying to make servant girl annihilators happen. <laughs> yeah, dear, <laughs> not going to happen. Porter, stop it. Publish your book, Porter. Okay. So then, the next murder, Irene Cross. She was murdered by a man with a knife on the night of May 23rd, 1885. Um, She was also a young black servant. The last one was May 6th. So not even a full month later, Irene was was attacked and murdered. She was attacked uh, late at night in her small cottage where she lived on Linden Street with her son, Washington Cross, and her nephew, Douglas Brown. They were both present. Brown was in the house the night of the attack and gave authorities the first shred of evidence of the killer's identity. He described the assailant as a big, chunky Negro man, barefooted and with his pants rolled up. That's okay. So he literally described him. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Okay. He, he literally described I, him as a newspaper lampoon. Yes, I was about to say. I feel like he described him how they were describing him in the he, paper. He described him as a minstrel show That's black exactly. man. He's just yes. regurgitating. He's just regurgitating. Yes, yes. Yes. Okay. So what's the what's the, the the young man who made this report? What's his age and race? Yeah. Um. So they were all um black. All of them were black. Okay. So you got a black guy saying it was a black guy. Yes, and that's the thing is they're being interrogated by white police. Uh-huh. So do you really think that they're going to sit there and be like, oh, it was a white guy? Uh, of which course means they're not. The report that you're reading was written by a white cop. Yes. Exactly. There you go. There's also one other big thing. If the boy recognized the person doing it and recognized that there was no way in hell he could say who it was. Exactly. Eh, that's true, too. Yeah. So not long after the discovery of Cross... 
uh, who lived for a time after the attack. Reporters arrived to the cabin to discover that she had been stabbed in the head so many times that it appeared she had been scalped. Wow. They also revealed that her arm had been severed from her body. And although the attack was perpetrated with a knife, investigators came to believe that the attacks were connected and were escalating in violence. So she lived for a little while after that attack. Like a couple hours. Again, again, just the nature of the injuries. Yeah. I know. It relays. It's so violent. Rage. It relays. It really does. Unhinged behavior. Well, worse, it's, it's also now if they're escalating, you have public opinion on that, of course, saying things are getting worse. But then there's also in the event that it's like somebody is recognizing this is making people look at this. Yeah. I'm enjoying this. Let's make it better. Well, well it's, I mean, it's not just public opinion. We could see the dates increasing in frequency. Yes, exactly. could see yes. It. They're getting closer together. And if it's not, if this is not a hate crime, then I would be very, very surprised. Because really, if it's not a hate crime, the only other thing that presents this much rage when killing someone is when someone kills a spouse. There is a chance that... The hormones and chemicals that flow through your and my brain when we are beyond pissed off enough to beat someone to death with a microwave, those don't trigger the same emotions for one of the uh, for somebody well, like this. Well, yeah. There's a possibility that it's not just what looks like rage is actually more excitement and entertainment. Yes, and there there's always been talks that people like this do these things to try to feel something. It just depends. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. it really does depend on the uh, what they've learned as their associations with their own emotions and experiences in the first place. The problem is also the 1880s were one of the absolute most ridiculous social restrictive eras in the West, and I mean Western culture. Victorian values permeated the South as well, very hard, and yeah. it made a lot of people very stuffy on things that you should not be stuffy about. I mean, following that same line of traffic, though, I got to hit you with Occam's razor. Oh I yeah, mean, if no, you the hear, simplest answer, absolutely. If you hear hoofbeats, it's not a zebra, man. Uh, oh it's no, probably absolutely. a horse. There should absolutely, like, absolutely, the simplest answer should be looked at on these immediately before the more bonkers and let's make a movie out but, of this answer but is. Also, but. the simplest answer today is. Not not what would have been the simplest Correct. answer then. Because then, I mean, today we have forensic science and we have behavioral science and all this stuff that we're aware of now that we look at and we go, the simplest answer is what you said, a really muscly young white dude. But back then, the simplest answer was, oh, it's probably another servant. Exactly. So, yeah. And I do want to mention that at this time, by this time, the city had grown to around 23,000 people. So it was a growing city. The only plausible explanation that law enforcement could give to the public was that an influx of workers in the area by train or wagon had brought in a sadistic maniac to their town. Mm. They did, um, after that last attack, they did release bloodhounds in the area. No results on that. They arrested and questioned um, several possible uh, suspects but all of them were released for lack of evidence. And then just all of a sudden, the killing stopped. Citizens fell back into their sense of security. They're convinced, um, you know, that the killer had been caught, uh, that they were doing something else and they'd got caught or they died or they moved on or something. And um, 
That was the general mindset of the populace until August 31st. Now remember, the last attack was May 23rd, and then they just and it was inc- stopped. It was also considered the most violent one of them at the yes. time, too. The May 23rd one. Correct. So August 1st? Mm-hmm. August 31st. 31st. 1885. A woman named Clara Dick and Mary Ramey. Mary was 11 years old. They were both murdered. Now that's interesting. Mary's mother, Rebecca Ramey, was also there and was seriously wounded. So that's three people attacked at once. Um, Ramey reported that she was struck in the head with an unidentified object while she slept. She awoke to discover that her daughter was missing from the quarters in which they lived behind the home of a livery stable owner named Valentine Weed. These are all young black women as well. Mary Ramey's body was discovered in the nearby alleyway. She, now I don't know how they could tell this, but she had been raped um, and both of her ears were punctured with sharp objects. Again, they thought maybe an ice pick. And then they dispatched blood bloodhounds again, and no results. Most of this this reporting was not um, what do you call it public records at the time. Like there was a lot of digging to be done to get this information, and most of it comes from or the Midnight Assassin book. So, yeah. So that's the first child that's been murdered. I'm not sure if I mean because. All three of them were hit multiple times. So it's not like she was accidentally killed. Correct. There wasn't a reaction, and the three of them were in the same room together mm-hmm. in the evening as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then we're going to move on to Gracie Vance and her boyfriend, Orange Washington. The sixth and seventh victims. They were killed on September 28th. It was almost a month later. Gracie Vance and her boyfriend Orange lived in a small shack on the property of William Dunham. On the night of the attack, they had two house guests with them. Lucinda Bobby and Patsy Gibson. They were both sleeping on the floor of the cabin. So there's four people in this cabin. All young black people. Um, Dunham was... Well, I say young, all black people. Dunham was awakened in the early morning hours by the sound of screams and breaking glass, and a quick search found Lucinda Bobby in the front yard of the San Marcos Street house, scuffling with a man in the darkness. When Dunham appeared, the presence scared off the attacker. So a search of the property revealed that Gracie had been raped, and then she was killed with a rock. Well, that's a first. That's not... But also, this is escalation. It is. Because we can't tell if the first ones were raped, but they were murdered. But now we're advancing to rape and murder. Washington had been struck with an axe that did not belong to the property. It was not. It was apparently brought there. It was found at the scene. He would live for a brief time before finally succumbing to his wounds the next day. According to the paper, Vance's um, head, quote, almost was beaten into jelly, end quote. That sounds like late 1800s. Yeah. So Austin City Marshal Groomsley recommended that police increase patrols and place additional officers on the streets. Uh, During the month of October and through the early days of November, nearly a dozen arrests were made in connection with the murders, 
However, all of the arrests ended in release or acquittal for these suspects. A local newspaper printed a discouraging statement to the city, uh, citizens of Austin. Quote, The crimes still remain a mystery, and their guilty authors retain the secret. This seems to be a year unprecedented in the character of crimes. End quote. The perpetrator, by all outward appearances, was decisive in picking his victims. Uh, nearly all of the victims that the killer had chosen were black servants who lived on or near their employer's property. And this fact perpetuated a false sense of security amongst the white residents of Austin. We're talking about the murderer. He had to be yeah. educated. And this is just my medical spidey sense tingling. Mm-hmm. If I gave a normal human person with no education... And not even a normal person, a, an uneducated person, an ice pick, and told them to go kill someone with it. They're going to stab them in the largest available target. Right. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. going to stab them over and over in the chest, the stomach. Right. The, you know, they're going to go for things that they think will hurt you mm-hmm. and be easiest. The eardrums. The mm-hmm. eardrum is a with weird the ice pick is... So there's a range. I don't know if you know this, but there, there's a range in between the eyebrow and the cheekbone. Uh, uh, that they they train soldiers, they train snipers, they train sharpshooters to hit you here because it is the off button of your body. Yeah. Have you heard this? So they, they tell you that if you strike someone anywhere in that spot, it prevents uh, a reflexive muscle reaction because it will sever the brainstem. Right, yeah. So yeah. he would have to be an educated man to know that if you drive an ice pick into the ear, it will instantly, silently kill these people. Yeah. To come into a room with four human beings in mm-hmm. it, confident you can kill all of them without waking anyone up, mm-hmm. you'd have to know that you could do that. Yeah. Everything points to an educated white man blaming it on a black dude. On the conspiracy... Uh, crazy person side to add on to your actual knowledge one thing I do know of historical importance of the late 1800s especially around the 1880s one of the hottest items in education at that time was the dawning of modern medical surgery right coming over from Europe yeah and this was still the era in a lot of places where people weren't allowed to play with that stuff but it had just gotten popular after the end of the Civil War as well because people had to deal with a lot of body parts. Brain surgery and other things had become an organ-based surgeries especially, and the dissecting of cadavers had become incredibly scientific, buzzworthy by the late 1800s. I just, I, I mean, with everything that I know, if you told me I had to walk into a room and execute all four people in that room... You want to without take, waking anyone up. You want to take care of some people first. I'm going to pick the largest people first, mm-hmm. and I'm going to instantly dispatch them. Correct. I want to add on to both of those statements. If I didn't know that I could silently kill them, I would need to know that I am buff enough to at least fight with them and take them out. Correct. Agreed. And then on what Simon said, would love to know... <laughs> That there was a very, very, very large uh, mental institution in Austin at the time. 
Mazel tov. That <laughs> housed about 300 mental patients at the time. Now, this is interesting. So, yes. when was it opened? I don't know. I don't because remember. Because how many fresh young medical students, I wonder, that, were there. That's, yeah. That's treating, where I mean torturing, I mean treating yeah. the inmates. Yeah. I do want to say that mentioned in that book, um, he did find evidence of the, I forget the man's name, but the, the man who was, but the man who was in charge of it uh, was of interest for a while. As being a suspect when you mean, you mean the you mean the asylum director? Yes, yes. The, the director. Yes, he was a suspect for a while, and um, that never really went anywhere because any time that they would go in and ask for records, it was never given. Or there was at one point when they went to find records, and they had been destroyed. Yep. So there, I think there was a lot of things going on at the institution. That they didn't want talked about as well. Here's a nasty little segue of history that has only been disclosed recently in our own uh, in our own historical record. Um, it is that in the late 1800s, asylums were all the rage because mm-hmm. that, that's where people who had money could shove away problem family members exactly forever. Yeah, and that was a popular th- trend from the 1870s in England that made its way over to America. And that is why we had the hellscape of asylum systems that we had. It's also the dawning of a lot of different medical developments and treatments. Exactly. Like, the more that people could study, the more we could learn. And so you're going to get a green light to do just about anything educationally. Precisely. part that bothers me is that you have these this massive influx of people and workers between May 23rd and mm-hmm. August 31st. The population jumps up. 20,000 human beings uh-huh. and there's this massive asylum with these new doctors and these people trying to learn and I mean how big was the police force in Austin when there were 4,500 people? Not that big. Not big enough. And now yeah. nobody's considering that the emergency responders in the city yeah. now have five times more people they're responsible for. So I found it page 45 of the Midnight Assassin. So Superintendent Dr. Ashley Denton and his son-in-law, Dr. James Given, oversaw 550, quote, lunatics housed at the Texas State Lunatic Asylum. Remember when you yeah. could just call them lunatics? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pepperidge Farm remembers. My wife yeah. is learning to read. She's a lunatic. <laughs> oh, well, the magazine for them at the time was called the Journal of Insanity. Yep. So. <laughs> I've seen some of those. You can find some of those are actually available to the public to read uh, just as basic historical record. <laughs> That's one the thing to think advances about. in medicine have come at some tremendous human rights violations. Christmas Eve, 1885. Susan Hancock and Eula Phillips. So wait, we have a jump from August we have to December. From August 31st to December. The last one was, yeah, September 28th, and then we go to Christmas Eve. Okay. Okay, so these two women are white. Interesting. Nine days after the Vance Washington murders, Susan Hancock, described as, quote, one of the most refined ladies in Austin, end quote, was found in her backyard... I will say there is a lot of varying information on these. It's one of the reasons so, this is a really weird this is going Yeah, good. I know. Yeah. This is a good job. This is I know. good. Uh... She's found in her backyard, which, by the way, is now the Four Seasons in Austin. 
Womp womp. (laughs) (laughs) She's found by her husband. Uh, Then, hours later, as police are still at that residence, Eula Phillips is killed. And she is, quote, one of the prettiest women in Austin. She was found dead in her in-law's backyard, where the Austin Central Library is now located. These are two different locations in the two same different, night. Two different locations an hour apart. Interesting. Yes. Could he have got to the library? Yes. Yes, he could have. I mean, I can't imagine he could it's, have. Yeah. you know... No, it's not that it's not that far away. When Moses Hancock was awakened in the night with a feeling of dread, he searched his house and property to find his wife, Susan Hancock, lying in the backyard bleeding and clinging to life. She had been hit with an axe, carried to the backyard, and raped. Hancock alerted neighbors and carried his wife into the parlor of the family home, where she died a short time later. While police are still investigating this, they're surveying this crime scene at the Hancock house. Word is delivered while they're there that another woman is has already been murdered just right down the way. Which Eula Phillips, wife of architect James Phillips, was missing and the scene saturated in blood. When they arrived, investigators discovered the lifeless nude body of Eula Phillips in the backyard of the family's home. Now, this is the first time that that a body has been nude, by the way. She had been bludgeoned with a piece of wood, like for burning in the fireplace. Interesting. You're making faces. It makes me wonder how they're connected. Yeah. Doesn't well, it? I yeah. mean, did Miss no, Hancock and... I have a know, theory, but I'm going to let you give me yours first. Susan and Eula, did they know each other? They, I mean, it's a small town. Do they operate in the same social yes, circles? Yes, they did. Okay, so this is someone who knows both of them. Again, alluding to an educated uh, white male of privilege. We have somebody who is educated. We have somebody who is capable, somebody who knows the town. Also, going back to the one where the, uh, back in the uh, one of Irene Cross, where the nephew misidentified this potentially. Mm. Now we have a reason. Would you identify the man who could say you were crazy and force you into basically prison? Don't say Jeff Bezos. Don't say Jeff Bezos. <laughs> exactly. Don't say Jeff Bezos. <laughs> don't, say Jeff Bezos. Don't, don't, don't say Bezos. Don't like, say Bezos. It's nuts to me that... Uh, it's 100%. I mean, he gets yeah. him in one night. He gets him in one night. Who would know? I mean, think, uh, you're... Uh, if you try to put yourself in the shoes of a of a, of a servant person, mm-hmm. of, a, of an African-American person who is... Your job is to literally stand there and don't look at me, don't talk to me, don't say anything. If you could think from their point of view, they see everything, hear everything, exactly. know everything, but they don't ever say anything because they live in this place of fear. Mm-hmm. Everything that you have belongs to the dude that lives in the other room, and he could take it away with a finger snap. Exactly. So you need to behave. That I, I just can't rationalize the thought entering the mind of a... Of a person who's lived his entire life under the hand of servitude, striking this carefully and methodically. He would be too afraid to get caught. There's too much at stake. In truth, that fear, I would expect that there would actually be much more messy violence and less calculated. It would be. It would this be is much more too passionate. methodical. It is. There's this, too much risk for a pinpoint. black man to go running down the street, covered in blood, to another house and do it again. Yeah. The only person who's going to think they can get away with shit like that is a a white white dude. dude. (laughs) This is is somebody who's not, this is somebody, it has nothing to do with the murders. It has to do with the action. 
He wants to do that specifically. He wants to use these tools in this way for this action. The murder is a side effect. It makes me wish that there were other information. Like, I wish yeah. I knew oh God, yeah. how Susan and I you Welcome to history. Related. I know. <laughs> I wish yeah, I know. I, was there a big, uh, you know, fucking, what do they call them? Balls? You know, a dance or whatever? Rich people have? I don't know, not rich. But if, <laughs> like, you know, they get together and then maybe our... Social uh, soirees yeah, in the yeah. late eighteen hundreds. So we got a soiree, and then maybe our errant uh, murderer to be mm. flirts that, with both yeah. these women, gets shot down, and murders the it shit. It was out Christmas of them. Eve, so it's possible. Or if there's a white dude with money trying to make deals that these two people aren't accommodating to, and then he murders both their wives. I mean, yep. you know what I mean? That there's too much of a social there is implication. There absolutely is at his highest escalated point. Are you kidding me? Come on, this is a no. white dude. It's a white dude all day. Absolutely, never me otherwise. No, 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 no. absolutely. I also think I forgot to tell you guys that um, the bodies were posed. They were all found in a in a similar pose. That's some artistic manner. nonsense. Exactly. Black dude's not going to do that. It's not. He's not going to do that if he does it out of pure rage and hate. To beat and that's assault a, his masters. That's He's somebody gonna, who is know. that's somebody who was raised to go to school and had an aesthetic had an aesthetic sense beaten into them, which was very popular in the eighteen eighties. If it is out of like uh uh let's say declination of his status, he wants to punish those who've been lorded over him, then he's going to brutalize them. And, and they'll be unrecognizable. He will take away from them that that's status. Ex- that's exactly what I was talking about. Which you could argue yeah. is what he's done by making them naked, by raping them, by beating and killing them, but then to pose them afterwards implies confidence. Yeah. It implies that he, he wants to show you what he did. Look look at this. I murdered the shit out of this her. This is literally the textbook on violent, psycho- violent psychopathy. This is a person who does not identify the world as he is told to identify the world who is making his own world. There is himself and cattle and nothing else. Exactly. Yeah. Listen, every bit of evidence that you have given me, how can you listen to this and not think it was an educated white dude? The Texas State Lunatic Asylum was chartered by the Texas legislature on August 28, 1856. Okay. There was one piece of evidence um, that I think is pretty pertinent. If you say cufflink, I'm going to flip this desk over on top of you. At some of these crime scenes, I told you that there were bloody footprints leading out of the crime scenes. Um... Some of those were what they believed were from a man missing a toe. Ooh, forensics for once. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Now, it doesn't say which toe on which foot or whatever. It just said that some of these footprints indicated that they were from a man who was missing a toe. A very common injury, by the way, of anyone yeah. who served in the Civil War yeah. or served on a cattle trail or had to travel from the east to the west. Yeah, yeah. Toe loss was actually ridiculously common. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually what killed Jack Daniels, so. Is it really? Yeah, he died from gangrene because uh, he would not take his boots off. Oof. Uh, he, kicked a, he kicked a safe and broke his toe and it went gangrenous. <laughs> well, Oof. see, listen, if that is, if that is true... To this, if they can repeat that at several of the different crime scenes, yep, a couple of them, then it 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 does deter a bit from my white guy 
Well, quite, quite a bit. Not, not really. I mean, kind of, but not really. Because he just said you he could have served in the Civil War. It's he could common have, of anybody. Yeah, Servants lost common. bits all the time, but and not, so did somebody in the and war. And here's the thing. If a servant had a toe that was gangrenous, it's less likely for him to get it treated and probably die from it. Oh, back then in more the 1880s, likely for him treatment, to die from it. treatment for gangrene in the 1880s was straight amputation. Yeah, yes. you, know, you might be right. But if, what I'm saying is... lost a toe from something like that, yes. If, if a black man had lost a toe back then, it was more than likely that he didn't have the medical advantages that a white man would have had and still be walking around alive. So you're alive. saying that if he lost a toe, he'd have lost a foot. Well, no. Maybe, maybe not. Depending but to catch it in a white guy, take it in, treat it, just lose just toe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Pretty anyway. common. Um, okay, so, and another thing is that um, during the research, a, a lot of people have researched this, and there was an article in July 2000 in Texas Monthly that had come across witness uh, interviews, witness statements that had actually um, described this man as being white. Or light complected. Why dude did it? Nailed it. Nailed it. Done. Yeah. That was a high five. So, that was a high five. And they also say that that he wore a slouch hat. Ooh. Oh. So that isn't is that a military hat? hat? Now that depends. Hat? That actually depends on which part of the country you were in as to whether it uh, what they were referring to as a slouch well, hat. Well, what have been, I mean, it, a slouch hat can refer a slouch hat can refer to a type of beret. It can also refer to a type of cloth cap made popular about that era, actually. The ones that I usually wear. Because if it was a military slouch hat, that's one of those weird ones that looks like a bucket that was made wrong. Right. And if it's a if it's somebody else just being colloquial, a slouch hat could be any hat that's droopy. Which there right. were several styles of droopy bogging cover back then. Well, yeah. it could refer to the military slouch hats, right. which have one side exactly, up. I mean, exactly, so that, that, which exactly. were also tremendously popular in the yeah. 1880s. And you know who also advanced medicine in the 1880s? Army doctors. Well, mm. yeah, that just alludes further to you saying that he had served in Civil War. The murder stopped after they, uh, like, additional police officers were hired because, you know, there wasn't a lot. Um, they also offered rewards, and they had a bunch of vigilantes thinking they, they could go out and do some stuff. My goodness, you'd almost think it was <laughs> Texas. And then, and I forget the names, I forget the names of them, but I believe it was the mayor of Austin uh, called in the Pinkerton Agency and um, asked them to come and look into it. This situation about to get handled. Well, you would Something's think... Something's about to get shot. You, you, <laughs> you, would, you would think, except he called the wrong Pinkerton Agency. Yep. He called... I was going to ask. He called an agency ran by a man last name Pinkerton. Uh-huh. <laughs> Anyway, they came in. Phone books are hard. <laughs> For anyone listening who is not from the Midwest, allow us to explain how ridiculously common an occurrence this still is. Yeah. <laughs> when they got there, uh, there, there were a lot of different reports coming into them, this, that, and the other. And then they found a report um, that said that a certain politician that was about to run for mayor did it. Mm. They went public with that information because they had no idea what they were doing. They went public with that information and this man was pretty much ran out of town. He was unable to run for mayor, completely ran out of town. The man who reported him was the mayor. Hey-oh! <laughs> 
So let's throw every bit of that out. That's all gone. Uh, also, categorize so, that as political nonsense. So those were the last murders, by the way. And um, also to your uh, asylum bit. So the asylum director was suspected for a while. He actually ended up disappearing. Hmm. <laughs> And then no. when when all these murders stopped, but then they found out that uh, he could not have done it because he was at one point um, put in his own asylum and then transferred to someone else's asylum. They went in looking for these records and it basically all that they could find out of all of these burned and charred records were that he was admitted and sent to a different asylum. Don't love We that. don't even know yeah. what for. Don't love We don't that. even know what for. No. And the records were burned? That sounds yeah. like... Well, they know? were like torn out. There were a bunch that were torn out. There were a bunch that were missing. There were a bunch that were burned. Yeah. <laughs> of course they were. <laughs> yeah. Have no idea what was going on with that. It's He's amazing. Murder. He did it. It's amazing how many. It's amazing how many movies were based on this. Hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, no, this is what I was getting at because that's the point. It's like, oh, he couldn't have done it. Be- See, he wrote a letter himself that said he couldn't have. <laughs> I did not yeah. do this. Oh, okay. remember, you remember American Psycho? Yeah. When, no, when I was, was like, going to bring up Bateman references yeah. here because this is behaving. Like, well, you yeah. wrote in your journal that you were at lunch, so you must have been <laughs> at lunch. And, yeah. Good God. Okay. Yeah. The, he has something to say. The producer is so trying bad. so hard Waving to us down. My producer needs so to say something. So there was the silent director and his son-in-law. You're okay. saying that the, right, the right. asylum director was yes. the one who was uh, institutionalized there. Yes. But the son-in-law his... took over when he was institutionalized. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. That, yeah. that right there. What yeah. you're looking at here is something that if you look up any strange occurrence in the 1800s especially, this is the era of we don't talk about that in polite society. This is where you cover up for family members who could shame the whole family. It's actually in certain aspects of society back then, it was better to let a murderer go free and take the blame yourself than it was to acknowledge your failure, quote unquote, for raising that person. Yeah. It that is the shit that happened back then. Well, I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, you're not wrong, but I don't know if necessarily that applies. It sounds like son-in-law found out Pops was murdering people. <laughs> Maybe. Possibly. And he and put his him, ass yeah. in the fucking asylum. Put him in the asylum. And then was just like, look, he's having a tough time right now. Like, he's got a lot going on. <laughs> he Absolutely. had a mental break. Look, if you look at this victimology, if you really look at it. Oh, yeah. You've got practice, 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 yes. practice, practice, mm-hmm. practice, yeah. the two people I'm into murder. Yes. Right? I mean, am yeah. I missing no, that's, egg? no, not at all. That's all usually right, how it not. goes. Yeah. Because also, this still goes, and, and I'm glad you brought that up about, uh, about the son in this case. Was it a son or a son nephew? Son-in-law. It was son-in-law. a son-in-law, and the son-in-law got married to the asylum director's daughter, of course, at the asylum itself. Oh, that's weird. That's yeah. yeah, it's what that it says in that really, book. That's uh, that's what yeah. I was looking up when I was looking up the other stuff. Is um, it romantic? Yeah, no. no. A little? No. So, the, no? the other two women, the last two that were just so beautiful and amazing, yeah. 
he was probably scorned by them at probably. some point yes. and then took yeah. the yeah. third so, best no, one. Yeah. But she's his copper this medal. Is the thing. So wait, are we saying that the son-in-law is the murderer now? No, uh, well... Think about this. <laughs> what you were talking about with the methodology here. Is somebody... white? Because I'm just on him being yeah. white. Like, I don't care about yeah. it. It's a white dude. What you're thinking here about the methodology of practice, of how, like, in this case, not necessarily just... Not necessarily just somebody wanting to do something. This is somebody who is also getting better until they get to the real murder they wanted to commit. Well, what, that, there's a term for that. What is that? Surrogacy. Oh, surrogacy. That's it. Think about it in this regard. It's like because also if he was doing that, if this was the case, that abs, if he was the son-in-law of a prominent uh, of a prominent figure. He would have had carte blanche to behave however he wanted in the asylum, especially if yeah. he had committed to taking over the asylum for dad. And who knows what the hell happened in the asylum during that time. Dad already redacted documents when they were being investigated, which makes him suspicious. Well, wait a minute. Okay, hold on a minute. Your whole uh, modality and, and, and the producer's in, in, input together, that implies that he didn't marry old girl, which is apparently the director's son, uh, daughter. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he didn't marry the director's daughter until after he murdered these two white ladies. There can always be two motives oh, yeah. Dude, at once. It's, it freaking sounds like it dad could... was trying to get out of that asylum and get into some well, Texas oil money and got scorned and murdered the shit out of two white ladies. That also yes, works. But we're focusing on the white ladies, I think, too much. Because there were only two white ladies. And there were... Four Swedish women are white. Well... Two murder victims um, and two, uh, four assault victims. But altogether. I, but I think that it it was hate fueled, and then he realized that he could get away with whatever he wanted, and that's when he said, "I can just kill him." That sounds way more consistent. What you are saying right now sounds way more consistent of an understanding of his mental state. Yeah. Up to the point of escalation. I'm Truth saying. of the matter is on this one, as far as the behavior pattern goes and everything else here, I definitely see consistency with practice yeah. and premeditation yeah. and surrogacy. For sure. So but I don't, I don't see it necessarily as scorn. I see it as uh, objectification, as in they yes. were the no. End, you're right. They were you're the right. end goal. Like we said at the very you're beginning, right. they yeah. literally mean no one means they mean, anything to him. They don't mean they mean they mean something to him. You're right. That would mean the same thing to you and me if we were target shooting. They're a goal. You're right. They were who he was after, and he wanted it. It needed to be perfect that, that, for him. That's way more on par with uh, today's behavioral science. So. We are talking about suspects. So while we're talking about suspects, I'm going to bring up one. His name was Maurice. He was a Malaysian cook. He worked at the Pearl House in downtown Austin. They thought it was him for a while because when some of the people said that it could be a white man or a light-skinned man, of course, they immediately went to the, quote, yellow-skinned man and started looking into this Malaysian cook. Yeah, but, like, have you ever worked in a kitchen? Yeah. Like post-unionized yeah. labor this force. This is like great. You're exhausted when you go home. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was cleared, by the way. He was totally cleared of that. Yeah, because he was working. Um, yeah. However, they also, did. Good cook. I don't know if they ran him out of Austin or if he left on his own, but he ended up leaving <laughs> Austin for New Orleans and then eventually going to London. So the producer had made a discovery of when... The son-in-law from the asylum was married. Yep. And it was directly after the first murder of Molly. He got married in the asylum. 
Okay. Yep. So yep. we married the director of the asylum's daughter. 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 Yeah. Which also, if you think about that, if you're linking these two things together too, that also rules out something that was listed as one of the biggest reasons why they couldn't figure this shit out. That's so he may have migrated there, whoever he was. But that is not somebody who migrated there with the bigger migration of people who came out to Austin. No, no that wasn't until after May. It was, well, yeah, because that massive influx of people and workers, that wasn't until around May. Yep. And so if that happened after December to January, somewhere in that little Which, bit. Which right uh, is also what we call in the biz a trigger. Exactly. <laughs> there's also a big thing here, too, that the uh, the automatic that's going to happen here, if you look at like the simplest thing, is like he panicked and had to cover, but he was smart enough to know how. Yeah. But then there's the other thing of going back to the methodical nature of all of these. Oh, my God. Yes. No, I just thought of something fucking amazing. Okay. Uh, so probably know this, probably don't know this, if you have studied anything about medicine historically, uh, they, he, he would have absolutely known about the off button. That's what I was getting at before, yes. Be- lobotomies, because they used lobotomies to do began lobotomies began in the 1800s. the fucking goddamn, the spike yeah. in it's the It's also eyeball. what the, the producer uh, was trying to send us a message that said lobotomy enthusiast, when you and I were talking about that. Uh, yeah, well. But no, that's what, that's what we were all talking about. Uh, just quick search on this. Uh, lobotomies were first developed in the late 1800s when a fist, uh, I'm quoting Britannica.com, uh, when Swiss physician, I'm going to say. Albert Lobotomy. <laughs> no, it is like Gottlieb Burkhardt. I'm probably butchering that. It's Gottlieb uh, Burkhardt. Who supervised an insane asylum, removed parts of the brain cortex in patients suffering from auditory hallucinations and other symptoms of mental illness. Yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, so you actually had a hammer and what was called a leucospike? That's leucotomy. Yep. Yeah. Horrific, archaic medical device. We went to that from the bar- from the really barbaric one. Then we went to the leucotic device, which is the one that actually is a mechanical device that goes into a hole that you've depressed something. It makes two little blades pop I up. I hate it. You rotate it. Then we went back to that Why? stupid hammer and spike because of a jackass in America in the 19-whatevers making shit popular because he didn't understand emotions. Well, my only yeah. question is what was used at the time these happened and if... Would because, have been a hammer and spike probably. Because they did not find any... Spiky ice pick like things would on the scene. I would have been an uh, ice pick like device. Still on uh, Britannica.com, which I'm just going through their science lobotomy section. Uh, they're saying that uh, ice picks and restraints that were used for lobotomy at uh, Weston, West Virginia uh, from the mid 1800s to 1994, apparently. Oh, Jesus. Yep. We didn't stop doing practical lobotomies for a very long time. So, is this, a, I mean, is he our guy? I would I'm say I mean, yes, except for one small thing. Okay. What you got? Goodly Burkhart didn't pioneer that technique until 1888. True that. So, all that's out. I just, I know that the first recorded successful use of it is the 1880s. So, my man wouldn't have had like a passing knowledge. Like, say, for Truth. example, if I've seen a medical procedure performed 500 times by a doctor somewhere else, then it will be cleared through a medical control and director board. Then it will be taught right. to the right. next level right. of care. Right, right, right. Okay. So if it's taught to the next level of care and our boy, the uh, the son-in-law, yeah. or, or the director, we don't know, it could yeah. be either one. Those two are my top suspects. Well, they were both directors at one point. So uh, either one of those dudes. 
Yeah, they're going to be familiar with the procedure, but not as familiar as if they had watched it passively perform 500 something. All I want to know is if he had access to that thing in order to murder people with it. Doubtful. That's all I wanted to know. But the problem is here in this case, now we get to it just that. If it wasn't actually listed as invented until the late 1880s, it wouldn't be medically available in other countries. Well, let's speak of availability here. Because if it is, let's just say it is an ice spike. What is an ice spike used for? Absolutely. Uh, What would a a driven spike with a hammer in this case? I mean, there were bone chisels for years. And who has access to ice in that t- day and time? Actually, here's the thing. Austin was an up-and-coming economic power. That's why the massive move happened. Also, ice and regular distribution of ice had just started in the Gulf areas around there, coming from New Orleans. It's They would bring ice to you on massive carts. Yeah. It would be like an 8-foot by 8-foot by 8-foot cube. And they would be they would be distributed by boat, by train, by via, by, by wagon, cart. by yeah. cart. They would the be ticket. taken into these restaurants, Whoa. not just rest ice houses or prominent people who could afford ice boxes, which yeah. was Texas yeah. back then. Yeah, I mean, well, at the very least, it was you know families like Miss Susan Hancock and you yeah. Phillips. That, yeah, absolutely. They've yeah. got access. That's to what ice. I'm saying. That's the what, late, yeah. That's what the I'm late saying. 1880s is where, and this is just weird because I actually know some of the history of air conditioning. But the late 1880s is when you started seeing ice distribution become an all-time fad because not only can you now keep your food awesome, you don't have to have sweat. You don't have to have sweat ass anymore. Sorry, the producer was pointing at me to be closer to the microphone. Good I apologize. job, producer. Thank you. Uh, but that's just it. Ice distribution took off in the uh, in the 1800s. And especially with Miss- with Mississippi distribution and early Gulf distribution, you had ice deliveries occurring everywhere. And with those ice deliveries, you're going to have ice picks. Absolutely. So this, it's not like it was hard to come by, Mm -hmm. just like these axes. Okay, so I want to talk to you guys about the biggest suspect that they had. And his name was Nathan Elgin. Late one night in February 1886. Now, this was a couple months after the last murder. Um, A saloon in Masontown in East Austin was the scene of a violent and disturbing incident. The surrounding neighborhood was in an uproar because a drunken, raging man had dragged a girl from the saloon to a nearby house where he could be heard beating her and cursing her while he screamed while she screamed for help. The entire neighborhood had come out into the streets and had seen this this commotion were standing around and caught the attention of a nearby police officer. The police officer, John Bracken, arrived on the scene, and the saloon keeper, Dick Rogers, and a neighbor, um, Mr. Hawkins, Clabe Hawkins, went with Bracken to stop the man from beating this girl to death. Rogers and Hawkins went into this house. They pulled the man away from the girl and into the front yard, and as Rogers and Hawkins grappled with the man, Officer Bracken got out the handcuffs, and the man would not be subdued. He threw off Rogers and Hawkins and knocked them both off their feet. The man turned on them and brandished a knife. As Bracken tried to recover, a shot rang out, and Bracken drew his pistol and fired. The shot brought down the raging man. This man's name was Nathan Elgin. There was absolutely no explanation for his rage at this girl, whose name was Julia, 
And uh, he was a native Austinite and a young African-American domestic servant who knew the streets in this hometown. He was also a cook in town. Brackenshot did not immediately kill Elgin instantly, but it did leave him paralyzed and mortally wounded. He died the following day. An autopsy revealed that Bracken's bullet had lodged into his spine, which accounted for the paralysis, but the doctors also noticed another detail. He was missing a toe from his right foot. Oh, shit. After his death, the authorities unexpectedly had the direct physical evidence that they had been waiting for. This footprint apparently matched not that they took impressions or anything like that back then, but they claimed that the footprint matched the footprints left at the crime scenes. And what date was this that he was shot and killed? Two months after the last incident, excuse me, February of 1886. The problem is, it goes back to the thing that I was He's saying. He's probably not the only person missing, missing a, a toe. fucking toe. That's the thing. <laughs> yeah. It's like, That's... because... You, Look, that's it's circumstantial crazy at circumstantial. best. That's yeah. Yes, that is. Yes, you got a police force that is desperate for an answer to this. Uh huh. And if you have publicized the entire trial thus far, you've publicized every murder. You've sensationalized it. You've made it massive news. And you've got nothing. And you got mm-hmm. nothing. Then you're going to sensationalize mo- this dude's The arrest. moment you have someone believable. It, you've sensationalized his arrest. Yeah. Then whoever the real dude is yeah, is he, like, oh, He's got shit. a clean getaway. Love how the they doc killed that dude. Mm-hmm. Love how the documentation there also said had no reason for his rage against I the know. woman. I know. Over, like, during the course of this investigation, this year, over 400 different men were arrested and then eventually let go. Yeah. Only two of them were t- taken to trial. It's because they were they were so damn desperate for anything. Yes, and that, I'm sorry. That's all that plays into me is just desperation. Absolutely, You're arresting anybody. No, that guy fit. That guy fit at least three different things they were looking for: violent for no consequence, very strong, and missing a toe. All circumstantial. The, yes, completely. The, the only two men who were taken to trial were the white women's husbands. Yep. And you're telling me that two different men in the same town decided to kill their wives on the same night at the same time? I mean, like that's stranger mm. things have happened. Strangers but, on a train have happened. Yes, they have. Well, <laughs> yeah. I just yeah. don't believe it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I don't believe that one bit. And I don't believe Nathan did it either. It, in May of 1886, during the trial of James Phillips, the defense attorneys introduced into evidence floorboards marked with bloody footprints that had been removed from the Phillips home after the murder, and they were compared to the footprints of the defendant who removed his shoes and had his feet inked and printed in an elaborate demonstration in the courthouse. Um, even though Phillips' footprints were substantially different in size than the bloody footprints on the floorboards, the jury was unconvinced, and the motives of jealousy and drunkenness, as argued by the prosecution, convinced the jury, and they actually found him guilty of second-degree murder. Yeah, so they did not listen to the evidence whatsoever. In the case against Moses Hancock, uh, he received some substantial legal help in the form of pro bono representation by John Hancock, no relation, Uh, a former U.S. congressman, one of the state's most prominent political figures and one of Austin's most astute legal practitioners. 
Also providing assistance for the defense rather than the prosecution was Sheriff Malcolm Hornsby, who during the testimony described making a cast of Elgin's foot after his death and the significance of the missing toe, the similarities between his footprint and the footprints left at the um, Phillips and the Rainey murders, and the fact that there had been no further servant girl murders committed since his death. Even so, the jury was not completely persuaded after two days of deliberation a hung jury was declared and he was discharged without a verdict now the verdicts in both of those cases the consensus on the servant girl murders and the motives behind them that the murders had been committed by different persons with conventional motives and as time passed suspects in the murders of the 84 85 murders were questioned, they were arrests, they were tried, and they were convicted. However, all of the convictions were thrown out or overturned on lack of evidence. Um, Austin police were left without any reliable answers, and the next step for Austinites was to sweep the events under the rug. I remember reading in that book at one point, um, no, 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 it was during during that author's lecture, he was saying that um, he had done research at one point. The mayor wanted to capture someone so bad that um, the night of these two white women's murders, he suggested rounding up 23,000 people <laughs> in the entire town, making them hold hands in a circle around town, making everyone hold hands, and whoever had blood on them did it. I mean, yeah, he's not wrong. Who didn't show up? <laughs> Fucking Terry didn't show up. He's the murderer. We're also talking it. about the guy who literally uh, used this as a way to get his political opponent, you know, kicked out of town. Yes. So. There were also uh, talks of voodoo, like you do. Of course. Um, the Afri- viable. <laughs> yeah. The African-American community community and some practitioners of voodoo believed that the killer was a white man who had magic powers that enabled him to become invisible as no dogs outside or in the fenced yards adjacent to the locations where the murders occurred were ever heard to bark or raise any alarm now that is there is something to be said about that is there well, not the voodoo part, but the okay. p- the part the part where whoever did this was sneaky enough to get past the dogs, or was smart enough to throw them a bone or something, or smart enough and have access to morphine. Well, or he was familiar with the dogs and Beforehand. like their owners. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Little <laughs> more ready. Uh, there were also people that thought that this guy was, like I told you, was Jack, Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. And that he just left town and went to London and started killing there. Jack the Hacker. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Um, but the killings, no? if you know anything about Jack the Ripper, you know that the killings were significantly different. No, yeah, 100%. Jack's were... We don't know Jack shit about mm. the actual physicality of these No, murders. we don't. Did you see no. what he did there? What? Uh, yeah. Did you see what he did there? Jack yeah. shit. Jack, Jack shit. Jack shit. Hey-o. <laughs> but... We don't know anything about the actual nature of the dam of the damage done to these women other than the base superficial things that were reported. That's true. Now with the two last murders, really the only difference between them and the other murders is that the victims were white women. There are theories And they weren't servants. And they yes, and they weren't servants. Um, there are also theories that those two murders 
were not done by the same person, but done by a copycat in order to use that person as a cover-up. Which the messed up thing about this is it could have also been yeah. any one of yeah. these murders where potentially people just going, yes. hey, I want to kill and I want to kill yes. and do something awful to my servant girl. Let's do it. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it like they did and it. 20,000 people yeah. just showed up two months exactly. ago so I can yeah. get away with it. Yep. Yeah. And here's the thing. Uh, there was a train line that ran directly from Austin all the way down into Louisiana, down to New Orleans. The problem was the growing Texas train connections back in the day, you could literally go anywhere. This was called the Southern Pacific Railroad Line, and it was built in 1865. Oh, you can go anywhere you want. Yeah, you can go anywhere you want. God almighty, he's gone. The point is, we have no idea who the axe murderer is. (laughs) That's the point. That's Yes, that's the point. He's probably alive right now, and he's right behind you. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?